everyone. Welcome to Retro Encounter, uh, RPG Fans podcast on many topics. Today we're doing a game journal on Soul Blazer. This is episode 233. Um, I'm Hilary Andreff, and with me we have Greg Dalmage, usually on Random Encounter. But I'm not so randomly here. Yep. And we have Kyle Seeley joining us again. Hello. And Mike Salvato. Is this where I introduce myself? Yes. Oh, okay. Hello. So hope everyone's doing well. Um, I wanted to get started with a quick fun question. Let's all share our favorite area from Soul Blazer, since this is part two of our game journal and we can talk about any of them now. Oh, that's fair. Oh, um, I'll go first. <laughs> I I like the Mountain of Souls just because the dungeon's fun, annoying, but fun. And I, I kind of like the aesthetic and the idea of it. But the world of evil looked really cool, and I kind of forgot that last time around. So, Greg, how about you? Yeah, the world of evil is pretty dope. Um, it <laughs> it looks like uh, it looks like a GeoCities webpage. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh man. <laughs> but um, I would say my favorite place is it's a toss up between. I do really like um, the marsh. Uh, from uh, the well, I'm forgetting the name of the place. The tree place. Uh, help me out, someone. Greenwood. Yeah. So the the marsh from there. I just like going into the temples, and I really did like the whole, like the the laser temple. I thought that was neat. The light and, temple. Like, yeah. The saucy ramps. That was set up nicely. Hmm. And I, I I I do appreciate that as much, but I agree too. Like the the snow stuff. There's a lot of different puzzles in that one that makes it interesting as well. Yeah. But my runner-up is very close is um, Gulliver's Travels in uh, the lab when you go to like the the toy towns. <laughs> yes, it's a very close second. But yeah, that's it for me. Nice. How about you, Mike? Um, I yeah, I think my first one is also the toy towns. They're really they're more annoying than I remembered with some of the enemies in there, since those archers can hit you from basically anywhere on the screen. There's um, a lot of range stuff going on in that one yeah yeah so much range but like i i just think that there's a lot of interesting settings in this game but that one was i think my least expected one i didn't expect to go into a miniature town it was just a it's really... so bizarre yeah. yeah although now i am going to think of the world as world of evil as a geocity site <laughs> yeah i mean it's absolutely what it is <laughs> i can't believe i didn't think about it it's also early lunar net oh it's got oh, a starry man. background it's got flames <laughs> oh um, I feel yeah. like I'm gonna have to like edit that into my playthrough at some point. Just all of a sudden pull down like the top banner from Lunar.net. Maybe yeah. you know, just have it hanging there the whole time. Yeah. When you're trying to fight Death Toll. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, those model towns are really interesting, but also frustrating, especially because there are a lot of ranged enemies, and you can't reach them in a lot of cases. Yeah. It's the first place I felt like I was like uh, I I felt like the entire second half it was like oh I actually have to use my magic now which is yeah. kind of neat. Oh yeah, I uh, I found that really fascinating. Uh, the, the magic got so good there. But uh, that said, I would say my favorite area is probably Grass Valley. I mean, it was probably the most plain of the areas, but when I played through and took notes about the context and and the subtext of the game, Grass Valley and Magrid Castle probably got the most symbolism, so they really stuck with me, I think. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And if you're inferring and paying attention to the overall plot of the game, those are the two most important locations because you have Lisa, the daughter of Dr. Leo, hanging out in Grass Valley for the majority of the game. And then Margaret Castle is... Just never gets out of bed. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I always kind of wondered about that. (laughs) (laughs) It it almost feels like one of those situations in an RPG where a character would normally be going, you know, I'm sick or or something like that. But she she, she never mentions that. You need the desert pearl. Like, uh, it's almost like they just didn't have the uh, memory capacity or expect people to backtrack beyond the bare minimum, so they didn't bother updating her. Yeah, it could be part of it. I, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost okay with it. You want to hang out in bed, Lisa? Go ahead. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, where's she supposed to sit? It's not like she has any other furniture. I know her house is so tiny. That's true. All right, but yes, so Grass Valley, she's an important person. She's there. And it, there's also, it also has the distinction of being your starting point as you're restoring the entire empire, the world. And Magritte Castle is, of course, the home of King Magritte, the seemingly okay guy who bargained everyone's spirits away for a gold coin each. Yes, everyone loved him. <laughs> Apparently, at least until you get there, but I'm getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Yep, um, but that that is his home. <laughs> Mike kept mentioning as we were playing, if you actually count the number of monster layers in the game, that's not a lot of gold. Right, like, it. how much did he make? Like, he has a castle, and he made enough to, like, what? Like, buy a new chair? Maybe the it. exchange rate on gems is exceptionally high compared to uh, real-world currency. Mm. That's true. Okay, maybe. And Which it's, makes it's a... the kid in the shop even meaner. <laughs> oh, that makes him awful. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> wow. That's an interesting tie-in, actually. Yeah. The fact that he's, like, demanding a ton of gold. I didn't think of how that was thematically important. It kind of is. At least he wasn't reaping souls, though, to make his money. Yeah, that's true. He was trying true. to go by the good old-fashioned extortionist way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So, to back up and recap... Grass Valley is your first area. You're restoring the world. You make your way through the forest, the sea level, um, and we're continuing on our journey, having restored roughly half the world um, at the Mountain of Souls, which is our mountain level. Um, anybody have any general thoughts about about that area? Snails. Uh, it's really snail. <laughs> It's very pretty. Like, I, I enjoy the... I mean, it, it's often something we see in a lot of RPGs from the SNES era where we get these wonderful vistas that they get to play around with at that point because they're trying to play with the, the height and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always relish in how each SNES title, um, and I guess some of the PlayStation ones too that still were doing the pixel work, uh, played with that. I mean, they were gorgeous in Final Fantasy VI and um, Sig and Densetsu two and three when you're getting up into the mountains and you just get to see kind of the scope of it all. It, they, they do a good job. And it was really nice, too, with the Aurora Borealis in the sky. Like, Gwen thought it was really neat when she kind of came in and was seeing me play through a bit of it and thought that was really pretty. So, And I agree. I almost feel like Aurora Borealis is... I don't know what the plural of that is. We're like a necessity in SNES games made in like 1991 <laughs> to 1993. <laughs> 
I want to agree, but I can't think of the other examples right now. I know there was one in uh, the Magical Quest with uh, Mickey Mouse, but I oh, know there Mickey, were others, oh but gosh, that's right. the one. Well, it's a very pretty natural phenomenon, especially in RPGs. You get a lot of designers and teams working on these games to try and think of these really pretty uh, in imagination-inspiring environments. Yeah. So, but, but this this is Aurora, um, well, the main Aurora is not just pretty, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> well, actually, I hadn't really thought about it while we were playing until this moment, but it is kind of interesting that you can see the Auroras on the mountain, and it's not really technically part of that area. It, com it comes into play later. So it's kind of interesting, the overlap between the two things. Oh, yeah, that's true. And the map, mm -hmm. yeah. Because yeah. you're just so high up. That right, you can and it's taking the world. Whoa, you just blew my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's technically the closest area geographically to where you end the game, which is in technically yeah. in the Aurora. Yeah. So. I mean, I usually prefer my Aurora Borealises in my kitchen. <laughs> um, at this time of year. <laughs> yes, this time of year. <laughs> this time of day. I had to. I had to. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> okay, mountains. Yes. Um, I I found this this area really charming, and part of that I think was the juxtaposition. I I love the way Soulblazer divides out the dungeons versus towns. I think they do some really smart things. I talked about this a little last time with the water area, how the underwater area was your town, and the dungeons were actually up on the islands which was pretty cool. And here, I just, I really like the look and feel of the mountaintop dungeon and look and feel of the cozy kind of dwarfy cave town. Yeah. Um, which is probably my favorite town in the game, so we could talk a little bit more about it. So there, you find grandmas and grandpas, which is adorable. <laughs> um, yeah, I found that so bizarre. It's like, you... Uh, you saved a grandpa. I'm like, what? And then they just kept being more of them. Like, they didn't have names. <laughs> That's yeah. beautiful. And that first one was so misleading. He's like, come into my house. Let's talk. And then never says anything. Yeah, can we discuss Can we discuss that for a minute? He's like, oh, you've traveled the world. I want to hear more about that. And then... Yeah, like, it's this whole scripted thing where he sits down and says, you have to go across the table. I'll talk to you there. And then nothing happens. <laughs> Is it because we did it wrong? Because he asked us to sit, but there was no chair? It was like a trick question? You know? <laughs> I don't understand. But the game does that a lot, which, again, we can also get into because we're talking about this place. There's a lot of, like, what seems like it should be a thing in the game, but it really isn't. Um, like the like the snail race. You think, like, oh, I should go watch the whole snail race. Something cool will happen. And the kid riding the snail, the mermaids dancing. Uh, like, I think the only thing that... Because they, cause they, they kind of teach you that in Greenwood, that, like, oh, if I watch the show of, like, the weird trio... I, I get a prize, you know, by, by there's a, there's a game to it, but every other moment in there where there's like, yeah, some big interaction moment that seems to kind of involve you, you don't, or you can get involved. There's no, there's no prize for it. It's, it's just something they put in, which is kind of a neat touch to make the world seem real, but also pulls the rug out from under you. It, it does a little, it plays with your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. True. Cause I definitely watched I, I kept up with the whole snail race. And then I thought it was funny, too, when you can manipulate it. Oh, by, yeah. Like, talking to them and stopping them. Yes. I'm, I'm so I was sure. like, oh, maybe I have to help the guy in last. Maybe that's all I have to do. Maybe I'll get something. No. 
If only the racing Chrono Trigger had been that easy to manipulate. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Nope. <laughs> no it, such luck. It made me think of that, though. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, like, even if, like, going for a ride with the kid or following the race around, like, some of them might reveal, like, there's that random, like, hidden snail that you kind of unlock early on, and it takes a while to try and figure out how to get in to see them. I was like, maybe one of they will, will point it out, or maybe I'll learn that from the race or something. No, you just gotta have to figure it out for yourself. No, you're just apparently supposed to figure out to walk through a random point of a solid wall. That looks like everything else. Yeah. Which... This is a good point to bring up another sort of gameplay issue with the game is that they don't have a lot of affordances or indicators of when you can maybe find an item randomly sitting on the ground or when a wallet might be passable. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Like Until you get the right magic person, but half the time I found like you did the thing first and then got the person that would help you after. Yeah, but like even even stuff in towns, like if you try to go get all the the master's emblems, some of them are just on like a Oof. random tile somewhere. But like if you don't yep. happen to step there, it's kind of weird. It is a bit tricky. Yeah, which we can get into for sure. But yeah, like, like that one because the I think the the snail gets you one of those, right? And mm-hmm. and yeah, you do you wouldn't know. And then there's one other later ones too. But even like back with uh, like trying to move the flower. I think someone does tell you you can move it, but it never actually tells you how you move it. Right. You think, like, oh, I'll just talk to it and it'll get out of my way. But it's like, no, you have to, like, crab walk into it and then it'll move. Yep. Yep. Crab walking solves everything. <laughs> crab walking does solve several <laughs> boss fights, though. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, eventually, um, as you're releasing these, I don't know, I guess I'd describe them as these gnomish guys who race snails yeah gnomes dwarves and they got a terrible life yeah talking mushrooms and you find out that their lifespan is only for a year yep but in spite of that they make the most of it and live very full happy lives i guess that's why they don't actually have names everyone just calls them grandma and grandpa because it's just like it's too short a time to even bother learning everyone's name maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) in a weird grim way I don't feel like doing, like, live math to figure this out, but, like, how long in real life do parents spend trying to figure out the name of their child? And how long, like, percentage-wise, what would that translate to for these people? You know? Yeah, no kidding. That'd be like spending, like, you know, eight or nine years of our lives deciding on a future child's name. Right. Or you could look at it on their time scale. If we're typically spending about nine months, let's say. Yeah. That's nine-tenths of their life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Is how's the gestation period of a baby being born? Is it nine months or is it like a week and then the baby comes out? Like, how does all that work if they grow so fast too? It's there's a lot of weird biology science to think about when you start really thinking about that race. No wonder they live in a cave though, because they don't have time to get anything else done. Yeah. So many questions here. I yeah. kind of like that. And yeah, there's a whole like anthropological study you can dive into with these weird gnome dwarf people well yeah because they've also clearly developed some kind of culture over time which is interesting they have a king that you do eventually release who possibly lives longer than the rest of them but we're not quite sure because he he's charged with guarding the secret of phoenix magic which you need to finish the game right or he just passes it down real fast (laughs) yeah yeah i may have also spent too much time thinking about that while playing because (laughs) i i was thinking if if all of these people in here live for a year 
and the king just sits there and holds this power waiting for someone maybe one day to come like does every king live for a year and every time there's a new one he has to explain to the next one it's like all right this is probably not going to come up in your lifetime but in case this guy shows up this is what you have to do and this is the power you have to give him don't forget to pass that knowledge down to the next generation otherwise we're just totally everything is messed up next year yeah hopefully they write it down somewhere or is it just some sort of weird whole like the whole thing is supposed to be some big symbology surrounding the phoenix which is why they have it does the whole race just get reborn every year like is it a whole like phoenix rebirth thing and it's interesting because all these areas it's really minimalistic plot points minimalistic dialogue but you can infer so much and speculate so much yeah it makes you wonder what could have been done if there was more resources at hand for this game. Yeah, more, more time. And going back to those conversations that don't quite feel like conversations or feel like you should get a prize or you should be able to interact more. It's it's kind of interesting because it reminds me of spots in games where they had to cut something. Kind of, but it might not necessarily be the case here. Yeah, that's a fair point. That makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, it makes me think of Saga Frontier. There's a uh, sewer grate that clearly you're supposed to be able to go through, and it is not used at all. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, and Se- Secret of Mana, we we have learned that there was a lot that was cut from that, especially because of the rush translation and stuff that we got. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can tell it breaks down like two thirds through. Um. Do we all appreciate Magic Grandma? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Magic Grandma. Okay, yes. <laughs> She's the best grandma. <laughs> I still know magic. Look. She she helpfully teleports you. I felt the interaction between that couple was very, like, realistic for some reason. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. Oh, honey, I still got it. <laughs> I'll Probably. make this random guy disappear. <laughs> and look, he's back. And and once again, there's a sleeping creature, a mushroom. Um, that you have to use the dream rod on, so they're maintaining those mechanics from earlier, which is kind of nice. Um, interestingly, this this culture where life is very short, they have a jail. <laughs> yeah, which they happily tell you they don't really use, yeah. except for that one guy who's in jail. Except because like a life sentence would be terrible. Yeah, except for your snail buddy, who is Doctor Leo's friend, who. You have to help, like in the other areas, so you can get the gem at the end. Um, but going back to the dungeon in this area <laughs> for a minute, there are some cool mechanics there. There's an environmental mechanic, which is ice, and the item that you use to surmount that obstacle is a pair of mushroom shoes. Yeah, just like in real life, which when you don't want to slide around. Which which was so great. Yeah, I think I think the rationale there was that some part of it was sticky or like the bottom was sticky uh-huh. he used um i think he used snail goop yeah oh yeah that's what right he said it was like snail, snail goop on a mushroom <laughs> yeah so that's great and i know there's an enemy that all of us loved i mean it's not even an enemy it's just an <laughs> environmental hazard these invincible snowballs like okay. yeah we could not 
figure out like I did, uh, this is what I was asking uh, in the pre-show about like does Kyle definitively know like how to defeat them because like you try like running them in the walls or whatever and as Hillary said like the rocks seem to work better yeah the I rocks that might definitely. have been it okay, I, you have to I've smash only ever rocks. done that the only problem with that is how they chase you it's like I you have to like almost predict what their trajectory is going to be mm-hmm. a few squares from where they are and it's just very frustrating and it makes it even harder yeah. to do that if you're on the, one of the ramps. So this is the part where you're like ascending the mountain. So the first part of the dungeon. And it's you've been lured into such a false sense of security in most of the dungeons that really there's not a lot of peril. Like most of the enemies, the AI is so kind of eh, that it's really hard to die. And they're actually like the most effective thing to try and kill you in the entire game for the most part. Yeah, up to that point for sure. Yeah, I'd say they're up they're up there. But as long as you don't get too many of them chasing you at once and there's some rocks around, it's not too terrible to make it. And then after that you have a kind of like crystal cavern ice maze area. You work your way kind of back into the mountain, go back to the town. And then the last section is kinda of cool. It's the village's underground lake. So it's kind of like another little section of the area. Yeah. Where you fight another boss that is kind of just there. I don't know. And it's the it's the, the merman, right, in this one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, apparently yeah. it's Poseidon. Oh, that's right. If so, you pause during sense. the fight. Oh, what? Yeah, so this is, the part, this is the point in the game where I think Mike and I started pausing to read the names of areas and bosses and enemies and things. Yeah. Because the mountain area has some cool cool names of areas like the aurora ridge and that's that's how we knew exactly where to look for the armor that you find in the mountain area because they one of the townspeople actually says it's on the aurora ridge yeah um but yeah so we paused and we found out that the merman is in fact poseidon kind of goes back to act razor and the uh defeating of false gods or however they framed that oh yeah true I mean, why why he was there in the first place causing trouble, I, I don't know. And that's the thing that I've found with all the games, uh, sorry, all the games with all the levels up until now, too, is, like, there's really no explanation for any of the boss fights aside from the fact that there has to be one. Like, we don't know who these creatures are to death toll. Is he, is he uh, recruiting them? Are they things he created or pulled out of the world of evil? Like, there's no context for them whatsoever. Like, everything important happens in the towns and happens with the people. And then it's just like, oh, boss fight, because reasons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm fine with there being a boss fight. I guess I guess you'd expect at least one person in the town to be like, oh, yeah, like, our king has been trapped by Poseidon. You're like, okay. And they usually do say, like, where's the queen for for St. Els? Or like, oh, where's the king? That's the most you get, though. They don't mention these giant monsters, but that could be because they themselves weren't existing and don't really, they haven't left the town. They, uh-huh. they don't know. All right. I don't know. All I can think is that uh, maybe monster strength is has a cor- correlation to uh, the importance of the person trapped. And that's what I kind of thought, maybe even from the queen, that like yeah. perhaps like she was corrupted and became the monster. So yeah, maybe it's like the, the soul is the of the most powerful figure. I guess maybe is that yeah. Well, we can go with that, but, <laughs> right? But again, that's a lot of headcanon. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and the. I briefly touched on this, but the last thing 
of note in this area is that you'll probably be returning to it because there's some powerful magic, but you need the three red hot phoenix items in order to for the met, more magical grandmas and the king to summon it. Right. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to way to call it. It's an odd name. I'm wondering where the what the localization was on that. The red hot objects. I, I was yeah. wondering that. Price yeah. to sell. <laughs> well, localization is really important in this part of the game. Uh, while you guys have been talking, I've been trying to find an old website that I was going through. Uh, I couldn't find it, but uh, people were discussing the translation changes uh, and those titles that you guys mentioned uh, when you pause. Uh, I think it said something like Soul of Mountain House or something in uh, the village. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did find was someone translated that as Dwelling of the Mountain Spirits, which makes a lot more sense because gnomes, mountain spirits. Oh, uh, yep, yep, yep. Okay. And it makes me wonder what else in this game was not completely accurately translated to obscure the meaning. Are you, are you trying to tell me the... the um legendary red hot ball might have been called something else in, in Japanese oh absolutely but I have no idea what I thought it became a legendary red hot ball well they are legendary you need them for the phoenix the red hot ball the red hot stick red hot mirror but uh, what got me thought started on this line of thought during this discussion was the, uh, the old man who says hey sit down and talk to me uh, I can't help wondering what his original lines were and if there was a actual conversation yeah maybe there was a lot less expectation that more was going to be said or that something would happen yeah and really red hot stick that was the like what they couldn't call it i mean i'm glad it's better than the red hot rod <laughs> that'd be mis- very misleading in very many ways both euphemisms and cars yes but like and transformers you know like like the red hot staff even like i don't know it's right. just it's very odd all the same and how those three objects come together like oh, a ball and like a stick cool maybe you like you're assembling a monument and then or like a statue kind of thing or something and then just in a mirror and then oh, you okay. smash them into the mirror and you phoenix joins you yes <laughs> right well i will say that uh this uh, does imply based on the japanese that the Woodston Trio in Greenwood was originally called the Woody Trio. I can see why Nintendo of America would have that censored. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a valid point, I guess. Uh... But one thing you were saying, Hillary, about like the, uh, the the dungeon and stuff, too, is just this one does have a lot of different like puzzle mechanics with like the slidey bridges, mm-hmm. like the hidden invisible bridges. Yes. There's that as well. And then there's like um, the good old classic, like, uh, momentum puzzle. You mm-hmm. gotta like find the right route to push yourself until you get the the spongy shoes, and you can just walk wherever the heck you want. Right, because of course you need to access some areas in the ice before you get the mushroom shoes. I would have liked more of those mechanics. It feels like they were just put on very heavily here and then abandoned. Right. Yeah. It was a very quick fix to get you out of using because you really only do like the one puzzle, and then after that, it's it's pretty much it. And yeah. the shoes don't help you at all on the ramps, which is really funny, too. Yeah, <laughs> like it is. Only for that one specific thing. Right, but it seems like everything is just tied to its place of origin. Like, you don't... Except for the ice armor. Except for the ice armor, that's true, <laughs> that's an exception. 
we're getting heavy hypothetical, but I mean, with a mechanic like that, I almost think that it would have been more interesting to see the uh, the exit to get to the underground lake. Like as soon as you get to that mountain, that way the backtracking with that new mechanic would have had more uh, impact uh, and mystery to it. It's hard not to talk about this place. I know it is. <laughs> it's it's a very interesting area. After that, we have another very interesting area, though, because um, oh boy, we're getting some momentum, and we find out that we have to go directly to Leo's lab. We have to go directly to the source and start reviving some people who were directly related to the destruction of the world in the first place. Yeah. Although, it is interesting. It's called a lab. I don't. There is no real workshop or laboratory <laughs> area. It's just a house it's with like bizarre. a dining room. Yeah. Right, the and on the map, it just looks like a little house. And it's just like he moved so far away from where Lisa was, I guess, and where he was originally. And it's like in like a deserted wasteland, which I guess makes sense if he's doing some sort of random experiments. Doesn't want to cause harm, I guess. True. Yeah, that, it's just sort of feel implied that he kind of isolated himself. Um, so, yeah, the, the town area is basically his house got three stories kind of an attic an upper story and a lower story um and then the dungeon it is essentially like the deepest parts of the basement where there are just a bunch of pipes and seems very unmanageable yeah unmanageable pipes and lots of aggressive robots robotic toy type things yeah like the basement itself, uh, I don't recall if they mentioned this in the game. Uh, someone correct me if if so or not. Um, I was under the impression that that was the machine that was used to call Death Toll. Oh, really? That makes sense. I don't. Yeah, I know, that would. I just don't know if it gets set anywhere. Yeah. I know the second basement area, at least some parts of the screen. If again, if you pause, is referred to as the power plant. I think. So. So maybe. Yeah, I think that's kind of implied. Like that's what he, he was directly working on that. Huh. That would make sense. It was kind of devoted to that project. Yeah. Yeah, and it'd be right there, and and like yeah, and there's an overall like toy theme to everything that's in there. Like it seems like Doctor Leo was a very whimsical man. That's a double-edged sword because saying that you know things are like toys to him may also imply that people our toys to him maybe yeah like he obviously maybe didn't think too deeply about like the implications of what he's making and like look look this thing spits bubbles everywhere and cleans floors and also tries to kill everyone who walks by it <laughs> oh no the bubbles are poison and they hurt you if you well, walk once by. it gets corrupted i guess or whatever by <laughs> evil yeah. Yeah, that is one thing about this area that I love. It's where the implications that humanity might not be so great after all really start to shine. Yeah, that's that's interesting because that becomes way relevant very quickly after this area. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you start to get hints that most of who you met so far, aside from some leaders who got greedy and saw the errors of their ways like the mermaid queen um most everyone's been pretty peaceful so the idea that dr leah was hanging out in this lab and not really thinking of the consequences and devastation of what he was going to do 
which we so we we know at this point because I think yeah. we get more on him finally later on. But at this point, we just kind of see, yeah, just the workspace and the the fruit of his labors, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, or lack thereof, since his house is very dilapidated. Although part of that is because the the selling of the souls of his stairs and cats and plants <laughs> and chests of drawers. Yes, and. <laughs> Which doors does he live in the Beast's castle from Beauty and the Beast? That's that's what I was thinking every his time house he released a chest of drawers. His house looks like the West Wing specifically. Yes. Right, exactly. Yes. All I can think with the model of the town is perhaps it wasn't always a desert. Because uh, I thought it said it was like a model of the town. It could be a translation issue, but maybe the town is gone and you don't get around to directly reviving it. Ooh. Mm. I hadn't actually considered that. That's another interesting thing right there. That'd be quite the implication, yeah. Are there limits? Yeah. Is there some sort of limit to the power? Was it maybe destroyed sooner than everything else? Like, in the process of creating the machine? Huh. It's interesting to think about. And it's interesting to note that there are two models and that it, they kind of look like different types of towns. Yeah, like one's more industrial. Right. And one's yeah. more pastoral. I mean... So different different parts, different neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, even if that isn't the implication or that there was a town there at the same time, it's like, why does he have these models of towns? Like, what was the plan? Yeah. All I can think now is the um, uh, the monster layer that you unseal in one of the models that like devastates that section of the model and turns it into like a polluted field that I don't believe is necessary to progress. Oh right, I do remember that, and I thought yeah, that, that, was that might hurt me, but it doesn't hurt you. Huh? Talked about like it was designing the the. Waste system for the machine. He was playing SimCity. <laughs> well, it's possible, yeah, he was urban planning, maybe, and that's what this was. It was the model of, like, a proposed town, or it was a model of the town of, mm. like, the kingdom of Magrid. Just obviously, either they didn't quite do one-to-one when they made it, and just or we only see a small portion of Magrid castle town and stuff like that. Just, you know, due to limitations. True. So... You progress through, you go, you proceed through the models of the town, you find some catnip and lure two cats out of a room so that you can talk to them nice and get some items from them. As one does. Yes. And you pick pick off the tree as well. Yes. Because now you have access to it through the mouse holes that you somehow can get through. Yep. Well, you know, because you're angelic and you can reduce yourself into particles or something. I don't know. Going through mouse holes was common in these Quintet games. I I remember doing a lot of that in Robotrek as well. Huh. Interesting. I apologize for the spoiler. It's not very far into it. (laughs) But it is an interesting thing that they're just like, yeah, whatever, you can do this. Yeah, it's okay. You'll fit. Um, And then on top of that, you uncover the chest of drawers that just likes storing uh, your weed, essentially. And... (laughs) But, like, you can't build up a store, because he's like, I can only have one. So I thought, like, maybe this was, like, a, oh, I can start storing this stuff up, and then I can just go back to it instead of having to go all the way back to, like, the first town. But, like, no, it's just, you can just store one there and then go down below and 
So it's almost like you have like a small little like extra inventory, but not quite. It's pretty useless. <laughs> it's, oh, I just give it to it so flights. it feels useful. I, I want to be polite Basically. to it. <laughs> I sort of had a, like a brave little toaster moment there. I was like, oh, okay, it wants to be useful. Yeah. Here you go, chest of drawers. Yes, you can hold things. <laughs> we appreciate you. Here, hold this weird doll. <laughs> Brain. And I like that the the other, yeah, as you were saying, the, um, like the exercising chest of drawers just saying like, oh, it's not poltergeist. We just move. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're just, we're just staying fit. We need to move too. Yeah. Oh, it's very cute. It's like, oh, you, you still kind of are acting like you're living wood. My favorite other thing is that, you know, the mouse says like, oh, get the cats out of the room so I can move around. And if you talk to the cat directly next to the mouse, the cat's like, we don't really like chasing mice. We just get hungry. Yeah. See, I thought when you said your favorite thing about a mouse, you were gonna, you were going to talk about the the mouse who's up there praying. Oh yes, the attic level. There's a little shrine. <laughs> the pious mouse. And, yeah. <laughs> He's so endearing, but also very annoying because because like I love that spot because it's like an instant heal, especially when you come out of like the the town models. Yes. You can go over there and heal right away except he's always in the way so you always have to talk to him to get him out of the way first <laughs> you have to be invited so you're like hey right? hey yeah. master and i are on really tight terms i know you're a nice pious mouse <laughs> i feel like we do a lot of like over analysis with this game but then when we have things like the cat talking about needing to survive it doesn't seem so unnecessarily grand thinking about the the genealogy and culture of gnomes right <laughs> <laughs> like they clearly wanted us to think it's true definitely well and and i think that's an invitation to contrast with some of the things the humans in the story are doing obviously like guarding bridges when they don't need to <laughs> no oh right <laughs> I'm guessing you're talking about other stuff moving on. And like building a machine to summon evil. Yes. That. <laughs> the whole crux That's of the one. Oh, that one. Okay. <laughs> the bridge yes. is a long lasting grudge. <laughs> <laughs> Between the two halves of uh, the Grass Valley. Oh that would have been really funny. It was like a Capulets and. Um, uh, oh, gosh. I mean, I'm not working on the other family. Montagues, thank you. My yep. gosh, <laughs> throw my theater degree out the window. Apparently, but yeah, it just would have been funny if there was that extra layer. That would have been great. But yeah, there's a lot of like the game. I mean, you get more into it as you get through to the end of the game too. But there's definitely a lot of invitation to get a little, I guess, yeah, start thinking about it and arguably philosophical the more you go on as well. Yep. Especially with when it wraps up, which I'm assuming we'll get to. But yeah, it's you really start touching on it here. We're, we're heading pretty rapidly there. The last thing I'd quickly say about Leo's lab is it's it's funny because I noticed that there's there's a level like this in Illusion of Gaia too, but it seems like all of a sudden you have, you're traveling around on these like thin pipes that are next to each other and suddenly you have enemies going side to side and you have to navigate side to side kind of more often. And it reminds me of the the mountain an illusion of Gaia with the vines that you have to crawl on. Uh, Mount Crest, I think? Yes. I'm not as familiar, but it's there's a lot of interesting navigation in that one with unlocking the different spots. It throws you off when you go on the tube at first, and then you realize, like, oh, it's translucent. I can kind of see through. 
and like you start encountering enemies that can hop between yes. like the different um, pipes and stuff too, which makes it interesting. Yeah, like the helicopters and, and the race cars. Yeah, and like the worm, the inchworm things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the race cars, oh, they're the worst because they just run off on a track. So when if you don't catch them when they get summoned at the right time, Those you could you, you have to figure what their route is or wait for an absurdly long time for them to come back around so you can try and take another swing at them and hope that you get them because if you miss them it's just like there goes time that I could spend continuing the game but now I have to wait for these stupid race cars to come back some of those routes just seem unreasonably long for where the lair is yeah yeah I tried chasing at first and I was like no this is dumb (laughs) I'm gonna go back and come back when I respawn them and just get them when they come out yep this is also the first time I think that we actually get a cutscene where we see Leo, isn't it? Yes. I don't know if we see Dr. Leo up until this point. I don't think we did. No. I can't think of an instance. Yeah, but he's got a really interesting sprite. Like, it, his sprite stands out in a lot of ways. And not only does he look like a dashing, handsome, like, um, red-bearded fellow, like, he just he looks built. <laughs> he does! <laughs> like, he has a jacked daddy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Wow, we know the subtitle well, for this episode. He looks very top-heavy. That's true, he looks kind of burly. And and then I'm... he's got his very edgy beard and everything going on. He looks kind of like um, the bad guy from Pokemon X and Y. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he looks very contrary to what you expect most scientists to look like, especially in a lot of games. Like, most of the time you're expecting, like, Otacon. But, you know, <laughs> then you get Dr. Leo in his, like, dapper vest and rolled up sleeves and, like, <laughs> yeah, ready to get in and do work kind of thing. Yeah, he's a very steam steampunky scientist doctor kind of thing, which tracks with the with this game. Which also, Doctor Leo's lab is probably one of the most like bizarre departures from the aesthetic of the game. I find too, because it is just like leans really heavily into its steampunkiness, and then yeah, like the model town thing that you're just like, what the heck, and all the talking animals and talking creations and dancing plants and stuff, and is very like yeah classic looking house that looks like no other house that anybody else has right it's a very like it's a much it's a very modern level so right. to speak. you get a little bit of like kind of industry versus nature going on there and holes in the floor even after you've totally restored the house yeah well i've been sitting here looking at our show notes wondering who exactly among us <laughs> added the note dr leo may be hot <laughs> but now i know what was <laughs> yes um, yes, it was me because I was just like, I was surprised. I was like, he looks like a handsome guy. Yeah. Based on um, official art, I would say no. <laughs> oh, I haven't okay. actually looked at the official art. No. Now I gotta go look that up. No, don't ruin Greg's impression. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he is translated better to Sprite, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I did have one. I know I want to get talking about the castle, but there is one thing we didn't touch on is that dr leo's lab is when we finally get the sword that can beat up metal enemies that's true which is like right which is pretty crucial weirdly telegraphed like like a special sword you get in the castle where it's like you free someone they're like you need to find this one sword that does this and like 30 seconds later you just open a chest and there it is um it's just kind of funny you're like oh man i gotta (laughs) find that there it is yeah it is exciting i found that and I found some to... art from uh, Dr. Leo. He looks a lot like Astro Boy's dad. <laughs> He's much more rotunda looking in the official art. Hmm, interesting. And yeah, going back to the whole sword question, you you have to wait a while for that payoff, actually. 
it's a few, really is it's a few levels before you can go back so um going through the lab you kind of learn a little bit more about the moments leading up to the destruction of the world um i believe this is where you get your kind of your first glimpse of if you find out that dr Lear is being taken away on an airship and being taken to Madrid to help with the machine and the summoning and things like that so your next destination is Madrid castle itself the, the, the Madrid castle yes right it's and in that cutscene, does is that when he starts to kind of show his doubts yeah i mean it's kind of an interesting like realization it's like you know maybe i shouldn't like literally it's like maybe i shouldn't build a machine that summons evil it's like yeah probably <laughs> not one soldier does make note of that like you'd kind of hope that it was like a machine that was going to do something else and it turns out it can also be used for this but like no like it was literally built with your pentagram on top <laughs> to summon yeah. like that that was its whole point so yeah it's like but all of a sudden you're having remorse when it's almost like that um dr malcolm black from jurassic park thing where <laughs> yeah. it's just the whole like you know i was too busy asking if i could and not asking if i should kind of exactly. moment yep. do we know that he was working on that before uh king Magrid approached him to do that uh i mean because what i was saying about that soldier a moment ago was um he he says like i have to think about the here and now it's great to think about like the possibilities and whatever but right i have to think about my family or whatever it was he said and i mean it's entirely possible unless it was stated otherwise that that's the whole reason the machine existed uh, i know that they were threatening lisa oh maybe i i i feel like it came up that it was commissioned i don't think he was working on it in advance of no he was not working on it in advance of Madrid. So I think what we were seeing is like that final, like it's near completion or something in that cutscene. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then he was starting to have doubts and didn't yes. want to do it anymore. And then they're like, nope, you're coming away to finish it. Right. Uh, otherwise, we're going to, you know, threaten your daughter. He was and... very self-aware. And I think that was a, that's a rarity among these characters. Mm-hmm. And what else do we see in, in the castle? <laughs> So, dungeons, tons of dungeons, because reasonable lots, lots of dungeons. But yeah, that, like you, that's also the first place where, because in, in Grass Valley everything was just an open plain, whereas here, like you actually see like the roots of the buildings, like it looks like you're wandering through ruins. Yeah, that's true. And that is a. And I'm wondering thing, if um, that's passage of time or something. Like it was the last place to go, maybe. So like there's something still left from it. I wonder if it was lost in translation that the guy that builds walls here is actually like he says he was like his uncle is like Gaudi the the architect, architect and he right builds from walls Grass too. But uh I'm wondering if that was something they just added or either way I think it's a good sense of continuity. Yeah. Mhm. So, yeah, that I think well, Hillary started talking about it a little bit, but something we picked up on as we kept playing through because the little bit of you know plot there is in the game talking about the king was like at least until he decided to sell everyone out for his you know 50 bucks or whatever that he was like he was a good ruler and everyone loved him and like i keep having that in my head but you're like you go through this castle and it's just 
torture chambers and basements and you know there's dead bodies everywhere i'm like wait did people really like this guy the enemies and <laughs> and yeah so the the dungeon for this area is king Magrid's actual dungeons and it's full of unhappy spirits and skeletons and i mean one of the places is titled the torture room yeah and like there's even two guards where you can talk to where they're like king Magrid is the greatest i have to say this or i will be punished did so. anyone talk to that same guard after completing the area oh no i didn't uh, he says, uh, I, I can really say that now because the king truly did become a great man or something to that effect, which hmm. throws me off because the game isn't even done yet. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we haven't got to that big aha moment for him yet. It's not until you get to like the towers on the side, which require membership cards. Um, <laughs> to, uh, that look like credit that cards. You kind of see some of the nicer palacey spots. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. do look like credit cards. <laughs> but definitely in the basement, it's all yeah torture with... What not, which I guess is pretty standard for, you know, your castle dungeons. I mean, we saw a lot of that in Chrono Trigger later on and stuff, too. Even if the king seemed benevolent, there's there's, there's bad people. All right, true. Yeah, the proportion of dungeon to town is... That's true. They're very big, sprawling dungeons. <laughs> anyway. But we get some uh, more interesting gimmicky stuff down there, too. Because that's the other thing, too. You quickly run into enemies once again. You're like, what? Again? I can't kill these? How much more of this game is there? And how many how much more levels do I have to wait to find the thing that'll kill them? Oh, it's right there. Never mind. Yes. <laughs> right. So for a second time, you this is a spirit sword. Yeah. So once again, you have to backtrack and think, well, what other enemies, you know, what monster layers did I not clear? And then you can go back right? to, to get some of the emblems and things like that. Was there anything other than the jacked-up Angry Sons in Greenwood? I can't remember. <laughs> no, just that. I think it was the Angry Sons. The Super Mario 2 cameo? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and that was it. It was cause, And that threw me off. I went in there and started swinging at it with the metal sword, and I was like, wait, what? Yep. I'm so confused. Not metal. And then I decided to try the other one, and I was like, oh, I get it. Which leads me to believe, as I got more into the later part of this game, I was like, wait, did I beat this game? I don't know, because I don't remember coming back. I just don't think I tra- backtracked very well. I didn't care enough. Because once I got to like the World of Evil, I was like, oh, no, never mind, I remember this. <laughs> but I feel like I didn't backtrack all that uh, thoroughly. Well, and that's the interesting thing about it, because the way it's... I think it's kind of smart design. You can still make it through easily enough if you don't do that. Except with the right. exception of the Phoenix items. Right. Yeah, that stuff you just have to have... Um, anyway, back, back to Magrid's castle for a, for a minute. So you find some useful items. Um, the soldiers tend to give you a lot of nice tips about where to find armor and emblems and things like that. It's pretty explicit mm-hmm. there, which is... Yeah. And strings. <laughs> yeah. And you yes, have, you have which bards. I found before I got the hint, and I was like, gosh, dang it, this would have made life easier. <laughs> yeah. You have bards who are looking for harp strings. And other bards who were looking for their friends who had extra harp strings were sadly skeletons in the dungeon. <laughs> it's a very now. specific thing. Oh, yeah. And you have, like, a dormitory for the soldiers, I think, and, you know, kind of your usual palace town stuff. The first of many references to uh, two people kissing and then pretending they weren't kissing ah, when the yep. character enters yes. the room. Yep. It's, it's one of the. I remember stopping Mike at that point and going, oh, that happens in Frisia an Illusion of Gaia. Yeah. Oh, there was something in, in his eye. eye. There was something in my eye. <laughs> I don't remember if that was in Terranigma or not. It might have just been Gaia. 
And interestingly, you revive the queen, like, not super early on, but before you go to the towers, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she seems okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's the exact same sprite as the maids. Yeah, that, that was interesting, too, because the mermaid queen got her own yeah color palette at least no which means she's, she's stronger different. yes <laughs> but nope the queen looks exactly like the maids and <laughs> she just first thing out of the blue asks you do you think i'm pretty yes no <laughs> yes which is so bizarre and that gives you i guess a bit of a an insight into i guess the kind of person that she could be but at that point again she seems totally fine and this was all my grid's fault right but because you decide that she's pretty, she gives you a credit card. <laughs> For the tower. Yes. Go anywhere you wish. <laughs> did anybody actually say no? I did, but I don't remember what happened. Oh, I no. may have had to leave the area and come back. <laughs> I do think she gets angry at you, though. <laughs> I mean, I can see that. Yeah, the, the, the cards are so interesting. Like... Of all the things that they could use for those icons, like, they would use this, like, really modern, like, plastic card thing. Right, and I think they call them, like, VIP cards. It's, yeah. It's anachronistic. Which a lot well, of Quintet exactly. games kind of are. Yeah. I don't know. I guess you'd just think it would be, like, a, a paper-based something. Like, here's a note from the Queen saying this man shall, you know, this man can pass. Except you, there's one guy who still won't let you. He just stands in front of the door and is like, I'm going to be king. <laughs> and it's like, I got the card that says I can go. The queen's right over there, man. Like, let me in. He's no. like, no, nah, I'm just going to hang out here. And if King yeah. Magritte doesn't come back, I'm king. <laughs> yeah. Which apparently is a rule. Um, now, that guy, that guy we did talk to after we were done with the area. Because <laughs> if you talk to him after, he's like, oh, you may go in now. Please don't tell the king what I said. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. great. I do remember that. I love that. So, the stakes are kind of rising as you go through Madrid Castle because you realize that you are essentially kind of reliving those final moments before the, the world gets destroyed. So you have to go up to meet those soldiers who are holding Dr. Leo. Well, you have to meet the soldiers who are supposedly like trying to release Dr. Leo, actually. Yeah. He's been held. Yeah, he was starting to turn people over to his ideas of, right. maybe this isn't so great. Yes. So there were two guards that were going to escort him away on an airship. But you get there, and guess who shows up with another two two guards? The maid. No. Well, it looks like the maid. <laughs> yep. Queen Magritte shows up. You've been misled all this time. Yeah, yes. she comes in, and which that's when you're like, oh. And you very suddenly find out that she's okay with death toll for the most part and wants to go through with his plan still and is trying to stop Dr. Leo from getting away and is about to be successful because she defeats his guards um and in a moment yeah with a crazy sneak attack yeah and in a moment of desperation um Dr. Leo tells you to take the airship key and he sacrifices himself to get rid of the queen and the guards um, in front of Lisa, who has also been brought in because the queen's holding her hostage. See that, but that's... also not. She very e very easily agrees to just let her go. Yes. Well, true. But as see, that's... long as Doctor Leo's working and summoning death toll. Yeah. Let's see. That's why Doctor Leo looks so buff the whole time because apparently he just had a bomb strapped to himself. 
Yeah, I'm still. Oh, that would explain the art. It was underneath his his gut the whole time. It's yeah, gut. It was just a bomb vest. Yes, a bomb that apparently has a range of about two feet, which is good for your <laughs> yeah, sake. Yeah, I mean, he's a scientist. He probably knows how to calculate blast radius. That's true. That's true. He did build a machine to summon evil. So. Uh, that was the dream theme playing during the follow-up to that scene, right? When you're speaking with Lisa? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Given that that seems like such a lonely tune, uh, I, I think that was good theme usage. Yeah, because it also kind of highlights like how surreal that whole scene is. Because I got there and I was like, whoa, everything's happening at once. What? Yeah, yeah. Is going on? It, it was so felt- emotional. And it's really emotional because Lisa suddenly loses her father. And then, yeah, you try and talk to her through it and she just is just sobbing uncontrollably. And you're like, well, I guess I'll leave. And then you you have your boss fight, which is on the airship. Yeah, which which is still a little weird. Which seems to be the only reason the airship exists, which is so bizarre. You take the airship out to beat up this bird thing (laughs) and then just bring it back into dock. Yeah. Blazer drives the airship it, back to the dock. Um, yeah, like, it makes it seem like, oh, maybe I'm going to have to fly this, like, up to the Borealis and where they keep saying I have to go or whatever. But it's like, no, you just... I guess I should probably go kill that bird, eh? All right, I'll go do that then. I never Came even back. questioned it, but that's a good point. <laughs> this is my least... Actually, I don't really have a problem with any of the boss fights in the game except that one. I don't like that one. It's horrible. It's just... Yeah, because you're getting pushed back, and I, I, I ended up looking up a strategy because I forgot what the deal was. And there's this trick where you like stand in the middle and basically just crab walk. So you just move up and down to get him because like he doesn't ever stop at a point where you can really swing your sword normally and hit him. Right, and there are a few positions where if you have your sword out, it will hit him as he flies diagonally. Yeah, but that's that's kind of hard to to manage, especially since you kind of slide around. Right. Yeah. I think that was the first boss fight I finally died. Yeah. Like a more uh, uh, in-depth fight with Solid Arm from Grass Valley, uh, if you can get him to swoop in low enough, mm-hmm. when he shoots his fire back down, you can just run up and clip him with the crab walk yep. side of your sword. Uh, so it felt like a much more dangerous Solid Arm to me. I, I can see that. Yeah. So once you defeat the boss and go back to the airship bay... Lisa's still upset, but you have a little bit more of a conversation. Yeah, um, she's ready to talk now. And actually, we should mention Leo's final word. Leo's final words, because they're kind of important. Yeah. They're, so he, he spends his last conversation talking to Lisa and, and Blazer about how inventions and advancements in technology should happen to make people happy. And he lost sight of that. And also on the nature of happiness and how a lot of people are possibly using technology to find happiness too quickly and that true happiness you need patience so his last last words are encouraging Lisa to be happy in her own time yeah it's a good message one that echoes throughout the series Mm -hmm. well yeah I was going to say like that echoes a lot through the game too like even uh, the Almighty, uh, the Master, um, cautions you that if you do die, he's just like, "Hey, be patient." And it's just like, is there a weird like cross relation? Has like Leo spoken to the Master at some point? Like, 
yeah, it's interesting that there's a lot of the game that cautions patience is a virtue. Well, what I was wanting to say earlier about Leo, but uh, got got away from me. He know he seems to know Blazer very well, but you've never met him, at least that I'm aware of. So like, yeah, he seems kind of aware of yeah. you in a weird way. Maybe the mouse told him about you. He Always prayed. the mouse. Well, it does pray. I mean, <laughs> the devout mouse explained all about the master and the master's servants to Dr. Leo. Yes. There we go. Except Dr. Leo can't hear mice. Blazer's the one that can talk to animals and plants. You don't know that. I mean, <laughs> he invents yeah. all sorts of things. Okay. Okay. Maybe he invented but why something. Does he know? Why does he know you? That's true. He must have some kind of insight. Maybe, he, yeah, he came up with some machine that lets him talk to mice. I need to know why this mouse is sitting in front of this little shrine all the time in yeah. my attic. Yeah. Well, and he was, I mean, if he has his own shrine in the, like, he has his own, um, uh, like, Vesper room in his own house, lab. So he was, despite his connection to science and everything, he also had a very strong connection to God that really That's never gets discussed. Point. It but, is. Yeah, you don't just build a, uh, a sanctuary in the middle of your lab unless you're no. very tied. So, like, it's interesting also to have and why is that, that as an aspect because unless it was just a plot device and they just didn't really put much thought into it but most often than not science and and soul are supposed to be at war right that's a that is theme. a really deep realization and i yeah i like that it's it's the the one the one place in the entire world where there's a shrine to the master yeah it's in dr leo's laboratory the very site where he the evil summoning machine is huh yeah weird yeah unless it's just the devout most mouse just built it himself <laughs> i do like that idea pews for all the cats and the plants and the chest of drawers yes and the door that doesn't talk okay so after things are relatively settled um at the airship dock. Um, the, the other point that we should touch on being that Lisa started to feel like she knows Blazer too as well and almost admits some feelings for him. Yes. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> Where does that come from? Yeah, it got a little bit out of nowhere, it seems. Um, but she does. It's a Florence Nightingale effect. Haven't you seen Back to the Future? It's the same thing, basically. <laughs> I mean, you're not, I mean, except for the part where you're not her dad. Right. Anyway, go on. Uh, she met him in dreams a couple times. Yeah. He tried to help at her arguably worst moment, or one of them. You seem like the most competent man around. <laughs> yes, there you go. Since in her home village as an idiot who can't work his one job, <laughs> and the other guy <laughs> guards a bridge. So, I mean, her Cospects. options are pretty limited. Prospects are not great for Lisa, okay? That's true. She's like, okay, these two guys can't do these one jobs they have. <laughs> There's a bunch of kids, and everyone else is a goat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, options are pretty limited. Well, I do like how they take the uh, but thou must answer again. Um, when she says that you feel like you're not like a regular human and asks if that's true, regardless yes. of if you say yes or no, I like that her response is exactly the same, yet it takes on different connotations based on your response. Yeah, that isn't uh, 
did you say we just said yes or i don't know whatever one says that i'm we're not human yeah she says the exact same thing mm -hmm. and either way i i took it in uh, to have separate meanings even though it was the same piece of dialogue interesting which is weird because it goes that goes along with another kind of thematic thing that a maid says listening to the bard's music in Migrid castle which is the same song can sound really exciting when i'm happy and ah. depressing when i'm sad yeah music can take on those different connotations too depending on how and when it's played like the dream theme yes I, that that's that's which a is that the same theme that um, the bard was playing, like the Lisa song that he composed, or is it a different song? I can't remember now. Uh, that was A Night Without a Lover, which seems to be the main theme uh, of the game, even though it's all not played very much. I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but the guy that composed this did actually like put lyrics to it and yes. sang it on the CD. There is a vocal version. Oh, cool. Oh, that's cool. It's a very pretty song. I liked going to... I, I purposely would go through his big dialogue chain just so I could hear the song although i just wish they you didn't have to go through the dialogue chain you can just be like can you play right. the song yeah. yes i, I would whatever. also plug that one of my favorite oc remixes of all time is that song oh really yes um, i'll need to go track it down but yeah. sorry i cut you off hillary you're about to say something before no, I no 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 that's okay so yeah that the sort of i i they play with that convention of the same piece of dialogue or the same music and have very different meaning or connotation depending on the context yeah. So, but enough about that because we have to go fight Death Toll. <laughs> um, well, first, we have to go to LunarNet. <laughs> right. And we get more, um, and we get more magic from this place too. Like we get more of the, the the creatures from above, and this one gives us the the invisible paths one. Yes. So in Migrid Castle, and that's the. But only in Migrid Castle because he only knows Migrid Castle very well, and only certain floors, not all the floors. <laughs> only when it's necessary. Yeah. Because you think that would have come into play back with the whole finding the snail hidden away thing. Like, oh, I can find these secret entrances now. So that would have been nice if you could go back and see that. Yeah, detect like, why it. Why can't you just discover hidden secrets everywhere? And then that could have been another cool callback. But no, it was very weird situational design. Mm. Um, I mean, and, yeah. I, I mean, it, I guess, yeah, it's crazy. I think it kind of works, though, in context. Because he, he is a soldier of the castle. And he's like, yes, I know this place really well. So... I guess if you look at that, then it works. And I get that, but he's also supposed to be like, because he says like, I'm a, you know, just like the other ones all say is like, I'm from the sky like oh, you. And it's no. like, I guess you just settled there, I suppose. <laughs> it just seems like that could have been a thing that maybe they wanted to put more in, but then they only ended up using it there. So then they just changed the dialogue to just fit that place. But I don't know. Maybe. It seemed like a missed opportunity. See, I know we need to move on, but I'm wondering, did anyone else accidentally find the secret passages in the basement of the castle before getting the spirit that reveals them? I think there, there were a couple points where we kind of saw like edges of walls and we're like, is there something there? Yeah, we knew there was one there, but we didn't get through it or find one. Yeah, it was the same for me. I didn't really go poking around and figured something would lead me there later. Just a curiosity. Mm -hmm. After the airship dock, Dr. Leo's met his fate. Lisa's wait essentially waiting um and you have a quick chat with the master and go to the world of evil and which is in the orb aurora borealis it's where death tolls ultimate lair is and you actually can't access it 
the area doesn't become accessible until you have the Phoenix magic. Mm. If, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the last area right. doesn't. Right. Yeah, yeah. His Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. I wasn't sure if like because you you face off against that that boss at the end of um the, your GeoCities adventure, and he, like he came and gave the vibe that like you couldn't truly defeat him. Like I was wondering because I had the stuff, of course. So I was wondering like if you didn't have it, like if, was it the kind of thing where you fought him, but you you would have to fight him again because you couldn't truly defeat him and then move on to the next step of the fight. Oh maybe? my gosh, that makes but sense. But it's you just but is it just you can't access the castle? Yeah, his his uh, little shrine doesn't even appear until you summon the phoenix. If you get to that point in the world of darkness, I believe it just isn't there or it's not accessible one or the other. I think it's not there, if I'm remembering. I remember it appearing. World of Evil. I'm thinking Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yes, it's the World of Evil. Yes. Which looks I, like a GeoCities website, yes. It, you know what? Yes. I mean, yes, but I, I really like the idea that I feel like they got to that point and, you know... This was still like early on in like Super Nintendo, and they're like, okay, we can do this like weird, like warping, you know, 3D effect in the background, and look at all the transparency we can do now on, on this new hardware. It's like, do all of it in one place, make everything transparent, make the entire background swirl around. It's and in space. It's in space. It's the most metal place. <laughs> it is. Like, it's weird, and, but I think it's really cool. If it wasn't like a direct asset reuse from ActRaiser, it was very much the same as the uh, background used in the final battle with uh, Tanzra. Uh. Yeah. I know it did have that swirling space, but I, I have never compared the two side by side to tell if it's reused or just a similar effect. Could be. And yeah, I haven't gotten in there, so I don't know enough about it. But there's a lot of obnoxious enemies in this one again. Like, this is, again, where I found myself not struggling, but, like, I just found some more frustrating enemies, like the random invincible firefly things. Oh, yeah. Kind of a very erratic combat path. And I didn't... So you get your best weapons in this place, too, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and you have to do some trickery to get them, kind of, well, at least one of them, I think, right? Yeah, there's, like, a weird kind of backtracky thing to do within the mm -hmm. level. Yeah, like but it opens one of the, the teleporters, and the teleporter exists yeah. only to open that one chest. Yeah, it's it's sneaky. But are you able, because I, I didn't try, I thought I had to dodge the walls. There's those weird flippy walls that come at you, yes, and I just thought I had to dodge walls. them all the time, and that's all I did. Can you? Could you but defeat them before you got the, the, the no. soul sword, no. the soul blade? No, we tried it. Okay, the soul blade has to, you have to have it. Okay, cool. I'm yeah. glad I wasn't an idiot then. I was just like, wait a minute. This whole time I could have been fighting nope. them. And that is the area in the game to grind. Yes. So this would be a good point to um, talk about the level cap and grinding <laughs> there. Because those walls give you 4,000 experience. Yeah. Um, and usually a rough average for your level just playing through is around level 25. And the level cap is actually 50. So. Yeah. If you want to make that level cap, that's the place to do it. Yeah, I only made it to like 41 in my life. I just got too difficult and time-consuming. <laughs> right. Did did you go to like that little grindy spot where you do it, where you just basically go back in and respawn the same three walls? Mm-hmm. Yep. What level were you guys this time? Uh, I beat it at 36. Nice whatever game level the game makes me that's just what i've been doing because i felt like 
other than the novelty of getting more HP, it it really didn't seem to be that necessary. Yeah, I think we we were close to getting a level when we were there, so I think we went back to the portal once or maybe twice just to get yeah. that level. So we're like 25, 26? Yeah, something like that. Which I think it's when I beat it the first time was that. I don't think I did the grinding thing and I just beat it at the bare minimum, which definitely made the final fight a bit more of a struggle. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to just breeze through it and just kind of, just because I could. And so I just sat there grinding. I think I threw on like an episode or two of something on Netflix and just watched that as I just went up, swung, swung, down, up, swung, swung, down, and just rinsed, repeated for a while. So you make sure you've made your return visit to the Gnome King. You have your Phoenix helping you in battle, which means Death's Hole Shrine appears. And then it's the final battle. So what did you all think of that? Philosophical, not incredibly difficult, but uh, it, it felt more like a... I, I can't think of the word here for it, but uh, it felt more like a symbolic battle than something meant to be challenging for, for me anyway. Yeah. And, like, did you um, go back through and do everything thoroughly? Like, I got the Master's Emblems, so which leads you to the, the bell, right? Yes. That lets you basically cast magic for free, which also makes that final fight much easier. Mm -hmm. So you're not constantly just eating through your, your gems. So just getting that right before World of Evil makes that last area so fun because you can just cast all the spells you were like, nope, don't want to waste gems on. <laughs> Uh, those uh, those bugs, uh, I found the best spell for me to go against them was that one that we mentioned. Uh, this works against flying enemies. You know the ones. Oh, you know the ones. Oh, yes. Oh, that would have been smart. Yeah, yeah we, that would have helped a lot. Although I think I did a lot of the, just the light arrow one. We had to go back. We were missing a couple emblems. Um, so we were near the end of the world of evil. So... Back to the last battle. Yeah, I think what I was going to say is, especially the first part of that last battle does feel very symbolic because you get kind of a spiel from this enemy. And I'm, I've kind of been trying to figure out if that's meant to be like a first form of Death Toll or, or what the deal is, but saying that a lot of people don't, a lot of people find living to be suffering. And, you know, you'll see, you'll see, <laughs> Blazer, how much suffering life can bring. Which is a weird foreshadow. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, I didn't obviously take much of it at the time, but now that you repeat it, I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. it's weird. Yeah, it is a bit of foreshadowing. Mm. And you just defeat him pretty easily and move on to the final, final battle. Yeah, I think that was also, uh, let's see, I, I posted a link so that you guys could look into that, but uh, the original line was something along the lines of eternal life is to bear up under eternal suffering. Living is in itself the greatest misfortune of living things. I shall make you understand what that means. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how direct that translation is because I got it from a, a, a Blazer series forum, but mm -hmm. I have analyzed that line quite a bit because it just it seemed to be one of the most poignant lines yeah, and a lot Just of foreshadowing. Yeah, once you get through it all, it's it's interesting, but it, yeah, it just seems very like bleak and edgy at the time. But then you go into like, I don't know. I feel like it is like his 
kind of preform and he, he's just trying to like lure you into a false sense of security with that whole battle yeah it's not like a agrahim kind of ganon situation <laughs> right felt like at mm. first but i got him there we go but uh yeah and then you go into this fight where you're just literally <laughs> again also i guess echo legend is just like launching like energy bolts at this giant um very again uh metal looking skeleton boss thing right blue flames that you have to target first so obnoxious oh my gosh those things are dumb and annoying even at level 36 they were just tedious yep i did love that each game in this series uh had a final boss that had very interesting mechanics true It, it is interesting because it's it's totally different from everything else you fought at that point too a little bit. You you get a lot at once. Yeah, it's it's a very overwhelming fight. It's also <laughs> lovely frame rate drops that happen a bit in that one too. Not true. Yeah, especially with like the little like angular lasers and stuff. Yeah, you've got some angular lasers that move in kind of strange patterns. It's a little, it's almost a little bullet helly at times. Hmm. It very much is. Yeah, you get that because he's basically got three separate attacks that are coming at you mm-hmm. at, at once. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. And he's just and then you're trying to go around and match him hit them and it's just and that's the the eternal debate too of like which uh bracelet do i use <laughs> you know do i do i want to just hit them as hard as i can do i want to save myself or if you've gone through the jump through the hoops you found the um the one that gives you a plus two to defense and a plus two to attack the the ultimate bracelet or whatever it's called what's it wait what yeah super, oh, i forgot about that the super bracelet yeah, I found it this time. I went with super completionist this time around. Nice. All I can wonder is if that was a, a, a translation issue because when I was younger, I never used that specific thing because I'm like, well, why would I want plus two to both when I can have double to one? But I'm wondering if that was just giving you double stats for both. Oh and they my didn't gosh, have enough space that's unfortunate. To... Yeah. That's a little misleading. Yeah. All right, so let's move on and talk about the ending a little bit. So, Deathhole gets defeated. Blazer's triumphant. He goes around to all the areas that he saved and talks with all the leaders. Any favorite moments With the very cool victory music. Yes. Yeah, I I like when games do that. You don't get to see that enough. Although, wasn't there... There's one spot you go to, and then it changes. There's a a tone shift, uh, like in the middle of the cutscene, so to speak. Where, Where was that again? You go somewhere, one of the spots you visit, is it when you talk to Lisa, or is it somebody else, and then, yeah, the music changes and completely shifts the tone, and then you go to the next place, and then it's just like, okay, back to normal, happy, adventurous, <laughs> you won music. Yep. <laughs> and I can't remember what it was now. I think it was when you talked to Lisa or something. Ah, anyways, I don't know. Do you remember, Kyle? Um... Yeah, there is that moment with Lisa that is yet another but thou must. However, you don't even have a no option to choose. You no. have to Right, she tells you that Is that when she tells you that she she wants you you to come back eventually? Like you don't have to you don't have to stay, but just promise you'll come back and you don't have a choice. I think it was and she's something like, you don't along have to tell me the truth either. So, yeah, just just promise me whether it's true or not. Yeah. So it gives me hope, which I think was an interesting uh, bookend given her arc yeah I think the other weird like tonal shift in that thing is Greenwood Greenwood doesn't have an acting leader really and you go to Turbo's grave it's kind of a little dissonant yeah that's true that's an interesting point but 
you know, you, you learn something in each location. The whole thing is framed kind of cool. I, I appreciate the way it's framed because a lot of game endings don't do this a lot, but it's framed as the master saying like, go and learn from the people you saved. And so that's what you're doing. You're talking to the different leaders and Turbo was basically meant to teach you about sacrifice yeah. and how he saved his entire, you know, kingdom. So heavy. Yep. One thing about this ending, uh, which I'll try not to ramble through, but um, King Magrid and his uh, motivation for doing what he did, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's interesting, uh, I guess, an interesting subversion of the whole love is the greatest thing that humans are capable of, for him to do such evil things in the name of the greatest like good assumption of human nature uh, just to impress the queen uh, it just ties into the themes of I guess subverting what you expect of the symbolism it's true but it also feels like a very easy out where like they didn't want to fully vilify him they're just trying to be like oh it was actually the queen's fault not really King Magrid he wasn't that bad it was just uh, his wife was really greedy and he was worried he couldn't be enough, so he needed to get more money. So uh, let's throw her under the bus because she's already been blown up anyways. Well, he had that nice little line about uh, he worked his way to the top and once you get there, there's nowhere to go but down and you realize no matter how many people you're surrounded by, you're still alone. Yeah, that was really nice. Where is that? And there's the, there was that odd little line of, you know, like, kill one person, you're a villain, but kill a hundred people for the right reason or something along those lines, and you're a hero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which talks about his rise to power and the mm -hmm. classic RPG hero kind of thing as well, a little bit. It does. It was kind of a nice little subversive message there. Yeah. So you, you finish your tour. You promise Lisa that you'll return whether you actually can or not remains to be seen <laughs> and the credits roll and then there's a little epilogue like we talk about the credits that are just a close-up on lisa the entire time oh yeah which is really unexpected at that point and her and her sprite thing whatever doesn't quite touch the bottom it doesn't quite touch so the bottom like and, the, and the names are rolling yeah. on top of it at some points and yes but like the little bit right before it is really pretty you know it's like grass valley at sunset and she's able to like because she got that hope she's able to appreciate the the natural beauty of grass valley and it, it is like a really pretty scene it is it is she's able to get out of bed finally yeah i've been waiting to say about this because i didn't really want to get too far ahead of us but uh it, it it's a callback to that woman saying like the same song can be very sad mm -hmm. or very beautiful yeah. and when you first hear uh night without a lover in Madrid castle it is very sad and here they like through the tone they're definitely able to make it seem more hopeful triumphant yeah mm, okay i actually didn't pick up on that that's a nice touch and then we get rewarded for getting through the credits. Yes, we get a lot of understanding this game was Soulblader. No, I'm kidding. There's other rewards. <laughs> <laughs> so the epilogue is Blazer's back in the Master's Kingdom and the Master's saying, you know, it's been a year. I can still tell that you, you've been changed by your time with the humans. And there's one human in particular that I can tell you're still basically 
Pining over. Pining. Well, sort of. <laughs> she's on his mind. Yeah, she's she's still with you. Yeah. Uh, you. I'll let you go back, but you won't remember any of your your journey. So. Which is really dramatic when you uh, yeah he goes back and yeah everyone's just like hey you remember me yeah it's 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 really interesting because he comes right back in grass valley and the first person i think he sees is lisa with her pet goat turbo yes <laughs> um, yeah like the eighth turbo in the quintet series and oh my gosh i read that goat may or may not be turbo reincarnated because he makes the same like little tail wag as the oh. greenwood dogs but we don't know I like that idea. <laughs> well, the Japanese version was much heavier-handed with yes, reincarnation is mm-hmm. real, as opposed to some people think that reincarnation right. is yeah. in the translation. Right. Uh, yeah, that always bothered me. How the the goat, who was obviously the reincarnated wife, is like, well, I don't know, if it's true, but I'm near my husband again. It's like, well, yeah, it happened to you. It has to be true. <laughs> it's different cultural sensibilities for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they made they changed some things, but anyway. So, Lisa asks Blazer if he remembers her, and you can lie or not. And I'm trying to remember. We we did lie, didn't we? Yes. No. Oh, shoot. Did we? Yes. Okay, we I said we bad. remembered her. Oh. But she kind of calls your bluff, and I, I think she handles it amazingly well. She's like, okay, well, let's start over. Yeah. I'm Lisa. This is my pet goat. I'm going to show you around the village. Yeah. I feel like a love story, like, a lot of the time it feels shoehorned in. And this game would be a case of that. Mm -hmm. But I like the theme of you are a heavenly being anyway. The love story is such a tiny piece of the plot. I like very much that it's, well, you don't understand this. You're a heavenly being. I'm going to give you the opportunity to understand what it is that you've saved. Yeah. 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 And it's just kind of leaves you open to more, you know, and, you know, what does happen? And when you frame it that way, it really kind of actually does seem like the master's giving you a gift saying like, you can experience the world in this way that you weren't able to before. Yeah. Yeah. Fully. You can fully, truly Mm -hmm. live, you know, which is, yeah, which is always the thing we hear from the creation stories was the true gift that God gave to humans. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, angels and demons and yada yada, they're all jealous of humanity, so to speak. And in Lord of the Rings, with the elves in their immortality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's the opposite of what Death Toll is saying. You know, it's all just suffering. Right. The last thing I really can think of to add to this is uh, I can't help feeling like Death Toll is like only evil because we associate the death of humans as an evil thing. It seemed to me more like, based on future games uh, in the series, that it was more of a creation versus destruction, like primal force of nature, like things have to be destroyed to be built. Well, that's like than, 100% Terranigma yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that expanded on themes developed in Blazer, definitely. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm, Which we talked about yeah. with the islands and stuff, for example, that mm-hmm. you're basically stripping them all away to restore humanity. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That is a very interesting point. All right. Well, it looks like we're running a little bit short on time, so I'm gonna go around. Any 
remaining final thoughts? We'll start with you, Kyle. Well, hopefully uh, we will be doing a Illusion of Gaia thing soon and we can continue this because I would love to get into the deepness of that game. But otherwise, I very much appreciate that you guys uh, brought me on for this episode as I just adore this series. Yeah, well, clearly you've read a lot on it and know a lot about the translation, so that was great. Thank you. You're welcome. And how about you, Greg? Any other thoughts? Any other things to bring up? Um, just to quickly touch on, just because we didn't really go into it too much, is just uh, how great the music is in Dr. Leo's lab. That was like the new, my new favorite track coming in after uh, the Swamp's uh, bang and bass. Yeah. And I really love the music in Madrid Castle only because the dancing robots. Oh my gosh. Um, those random dancing robot enemies really make you appreciate it because they literally have a choreographed dance to it. They don't attack you. They just sit there and dance, which makes you feel kind of like a jerk for killing them i couldn't yeah. yeah it's so cute i don't understand but i appreciated it a lot right they're just sitting there doing their thing like and they're just like solely like just on point choreography it was great gotta go back and look at that i never noticed yeah no it's... yeah it took me a second i was just like oh my gosh i don't want to kill them but i kind of need to i, I need to, i need the things that they give me oh but no it was great revisiting this game it holds up well enough you know, again, I just appreciate how smooth of a ride it is. It does. And I like everything that it kind of set up for future game series that kind of started aping it. So I'm grateful for its yeah. existence. I think and I are... want to try the other Quintet games and see how they get extrapolated on these ideas. Please do, because they're worth it. Um, and that brings me to my two things that I kind of still want to say is, yeah, the, I think the things that make Soul Blazer so much worth playing, one is that very smooth gameplay and just ability to get through it easily um and two would be how it connects with the rest of the games in the series and kind of that overarching theme that really develops across the three um yeah so mike how about you any other thoughts well we didn't talk about it it's in our notes but it's still weird to me that this game none of the games were ever re-released anywhere like I guess I don't know who would have. Yeah, that's the main problem, I think. Yeah. I, I would imagine that Square Enix has the rights to it, but I don't really know. Um, I don't know. It's just that is it's a good too question. bad that all three of them are not playable somewhere, like even on like the Wii shop when it was like still around. Console or, anything. or something. Yeah. Definitely. Who knows what we'll get? I mean, they keep saying they want to bring maybe one back catalog, so maybe maybe hopefully it'd be, it'd be very well, nice i can't uh can't help wondering if quintet or someone there owned the rights to some aspect of this series and since they have since folded and like disbanded like maybe that has something to do with it yeah it's it lost in bureaucracy why don't we tell everyone where we can be reached starting with you greg uh, you can reach me at, uh, you know, podcast at rpgfan.com if you need to tell me stuff about Random Encounter. And you can find me on Twitter at Greg Delmage. Instagram's the same. And I'm G Delmy on our dish, on our Discord, on our Discord. Great. And how about you, Kyle? Well, uh, you can reach me at uh, Kyle S at rpgfan.com and just send me some of that email if you got anything uh, you'd like me to write about. Yeah, very knowledgeable about the whole series. And 
Mike, where can you be reached? Um, I cannot. No. Um, <laughs> I can be reached at uh, Mike at RPGFan.com or I am Valkyrie Studio on Twitter. Great. Thanks. And again, I'm Hillary. Um, Hillary A at RPGFan.com um, and EP Fire on Discord. Um, and please, we also have the retro at RPGFan.com for general retro podcast comments we'd like to hear from you so please don't hesitate also don't hesitate to rate us on your favorite podcasting platform um that's always very helpful as well um coming up next we have a let's see we have a series on mother three a game journal on mother three and a castlevania animated series discussion so thank everyone for listening. Thank you all for talking about Soul Blazer with me. It's deeply appreciated. I had a lot of fun. Us too. Yay. Oh, I did. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So take care, everyone. Good night and good luck. Bye. Later. Later.